Big questions, even bigger guests. This is The Big Interview. Good day and welcome to the SL Podcast. To kick off the year, we bring you part two of our look into human rights issues taking place in Qatar, directly relating to their preparation for next year's FIFA World Cup. If you missed part one of the interview, head over to slpodcast.co.za and you'll find it under the big interview tab. Back in December, as we headed into the Christmas break, we broke down migrant worker abuse taking place at stadium construction sites and other developments around the World Cup preparation. Just 10 years after Qatar won the bid to host the tournament and also 10 years, now almost 11, since we hosted it ourselves to global praise. Today, we are looking into the promises Qatar have made to rectify the issues and whether or not they are actually sorting out the issue or if it's all just for press. My guest is Ellen Knight, a campaigner for migrant rights at Amnesty International who published an in-depth report about the issue titled Reality Check 2020 Countdown to the 2022 World Cup. It is a must read and I highly suggest that you check it out. But on to the show. I am your host Slu and this is The Big Interview. Now, in, in rand terms, or, or, or czar, for the international audience, what what was the minimum wage? Oh, actually, you can put it in in USD. Um, I can do the calculation in my head, but my maths might be iffy. Um, what what what's the minimum wage the Qatar government announced, um, and what had they agreed to? What have they agreed to this past August? So, what was the minimum wage that was being paid, and, and what have they agreed to now? So, I did the math. Yes. Um, <laughs> so they agreed that from March 2021, um, there will be a mandatory minimum wage, so non-discriminatory, applies to everybody in the country, um, of 1,000 Qatari reals, which is equivalent to 4,000 rand, according to my calculations. Um, that's a, that's the basic wage. Then uh, they're also entitled to an additional 800 rials, so that's an additional 3,300 rand for um, accommodation and food if their employer doesn't already provide that. Mm. So we, we certainly think that could boost the, the earnings of some of those on the lowest incomes, um, but there's definitely still concerns among organizations who operate on the ground that it's still not sufficient um, to cover basic living costs in Qatar. Um, and so we are definitely seeking, you know, review of this minimum wage and, and further study to ensure that it actually um, enhances, enhances lives. Yeah. As you mentioned, <laughs> sorry. Sorry about that. I was, I was just, I was just thinking about the fact that you pointed out the the loans that these guys had to take out to get there is about two thousand dollars plus <laughs> interest, and that's about that's easily about I want to say forty thousand rand. Yeah. Um, and and for you to be earning four thousand plus the three thousand, it's still you're behind. So so sorry. It, yeah. No. Absolutely. I mean, it can take months for people to pay back their their loans to cover their recruitment costs. Um, even at the best of times, <laughs> even when their employer is paying them on time and in full. Um, I mean, recruitment costs, under international standards, no worker should pay a cost, a fee, to secure a job. Mm. But for people coming to Qatar from most countries of origin, from Nepal, from Kenya, from uh, Bangladesh, 
it's it's standard. <laughs> it's standard people pay these fees. They shouldn't be, but but they are. And that really is one of the kind of main things that that leads to or that can lead to situations of forced labor because you're then in a situation where you simply can't leave a job until you've paid back your 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 um, loan. Going back to what you asked about what else was announced in August. Mm. Um, so another fundamental change that was announced was that finally all workers would be allowed to change employers without their employer's permission. It might seem, I mean, to me, as someone living in the UK, the, the thought that my employer could prevent me from moving jobs is, is uh, unheard of, but, but there, that, that is the norm. Yeah. Um, so finally that has been revoked. Um, it, we certainly think this could help workers to escape from abusive situations. There will not be that added layer of uh, restriction. Um, but it doesn't equal the end of the kafala system. There are, the kafala system is a really complex system of laws, policies, practice and attitudes. And while some really good steps have been taken and it is being dismantled, um, there's still a long way to go, I think, for it to really impact workers in practice. Now, I do feel as though I have to kind of skip ahead here. This is the best possible compliment I can give a guest, um, is that I've bitten off quite a bit to chew here with this story. Um, and, and, and there's a, there's a couple things that I still wanted to get into, but I, I think we should jump ahead and talk about the Albait Stadium. Um, what did Amnesty International discover just this past June? Yeah, so just this June, um, we found and we revealed that up to 100 migrant workers were working for up to seven months without pay on Albait Stadium. Uh, that's one of the World Cup stadiums. It's going to be a crown jewel in Qatar's World Cup. Um, it's going to host up to 60,000 fans. It's going to host matches all the way up until the semi-finals. These workers were from Ghana, Kenya, the Philippines, Nepal, and they'd been working for a contractor on that stadium, as I say, for about seven months without pay. And this meant these workers were owed from between about 2,000 US dollars, uh, I didn't do the calculations in Rand, I'm afraid, um, up to uh, 15,000 USD. Oof. Exactly. A lot of money. A lot of money. And that was both, um, you know, labourers, uh, manual workers, up to kind of office staff and, and um, more kind of clerical, clerical employees. Mm -hmm. They were also um, hadn't been provided with um, up-to-date Qatar IDs and residence permits, so they were at risk of um, arrest and deportation if they were found. Um, and as I said earlier, many of them had paid recruitment fees um, up to around 2,000 US dollars, so it's <laughs> a lot of money. Mm. Um, they arrived then with debt, they then weren't paid. You know, one worker described to me um, how his his son was no longer able to go go to school in his country of origin because he just couldn't pay the fees. Another explained how his his one of his parents was very sick in hospital and he had to borrow more money to to pay for her medical fees because he just wasn't getting his wages. We told Qatar and its organising bodies and FIFA as soon as we you know, had documented this and evidenced the claims. Um, and we found that this had been happening in plain sight for about a year. The Qatari authorities had known that there were wage issues on this company. 
so they detected the issue and they had taken some steps to um, try and rectify it, but they'd not done enough. And essentially they'd allowed these workers to continue um, uh, for all those months without being properly paid. FIFA actually didn't know what was happening on the stadium until we'd brought it to to their attention. Um, that in itself was, was really concerning for us because as a World Cup organiser, FIFA does have a responsibility to ensure that human rights are respected um, in the context of it organising and carrying out the tournament. Mm. And it's supposed to have you know processes in place so that it can detect abuse and it can um, work to try and remedy the situation and try and stop the abuse. But the fact that it didn't it didn't know this was happening until Amnesty International told them um, shows that showed to us that it's not really taking uh, abuse on its stadium seriously enough. And most of the workers have thankfully now been paid, but that did take some months. And it was only after we brought it to everyone's attention mm. that it really started to get solved. So, you know, if you guys hadn't said anything, who knows what, what might have happened. Um, and now, you know, I have to I have to uh, wrap this up in some way, but I, I do want to know in terms of in, like since since you brought it to FIFA's attention, for example, have they have they shown an interest of being more involved in the process within the, these next two years, at least before the, the World Cup comes to avoid uh, a, a human rights crisis or it's already a human rights crisis the way the way yeah. that is described. But are they willing to help out a little bit more? So, yeah, I mean. I would say in, in the case of El Bait Stadium and these workers, um, you know, we we did have an open dialogue with them and I would say that they they once they knew about what was happening, they certainly had a role in, in, in helping trying to fix it. Um, they have come under obviously a lot of pressure over the years through those headlines that we've all seen. Um, they have put human rights policy in place they've you know they've established a kind of sustainability strategy for this world cup um and these are positive and also on the on the world cup stadium um stadiums they've they've kind of put in place with qatar some higher labor standards so workers on stadiums we refer to them as world cup workers now should have um a, a kind of higher set of labor standards essentially that they can enjoy mm. but those are not universally accepted or sorry not universally respected as the albate stadium case shows there's still there's still abuse happening mm. and also um world cup workers are only you know about two percent of qatar's migrant worker welfare uh, workforce in total so fifa says that it wants to leave a positive legacy um for all workers in Qatar through this World Cup. And we, we still think that it can, um, but if FIFA really wants that to be achieved, it, it has to it has to step up, it has to put more pressure on Qatar, both publicly and privately, to really enforce and implement the laws that it's already put in place, and also to take further steps to fix the, you know, the continuing abuse that we're seeing. And so those would be your suggestions for legal protections, wage protections, and the like for Qatar, actually going beyond FIFA to close off with, with what Amnesty International really is about, because, you know, the World Cup isn't the end of the story uh, for you guys. Um, in terms of legal protections, wage protections, and, and stuff like that for Qatar, how do, you, how do we find out about this stuff that's going on? Because it's often shrouded in, in, in mystery. 
history and, and we don't hear about it until there's a big expose. So what is Amnesty International's uh, positions on, on these aspects, legal protections, wage protections, um, you know, human rights watch basically in, in these different areas of the world? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, from the perspective of Qatar, it really needs to get serious about implementing and enforcing its laws. And I think one of the key things is about holding abusive employers to account. You know, very rarely do we see that an employer who's, you know, not paid his workers for months or has forced them to work seven days a week, very rarely do we see those employers actually being brought to justice. And so what deterrent is there is there for abuse really? So I would say that for us is one of the is one of the top things that Qatar needs to do in the next few years. There's many, many, many more changes that we would like to see, um, which I, I won't go into now because uh, I could go on for 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 hours. Um, but I think holding abusive employers to account would be would go a long way uh, to to sending a signal that this is not okay and it won't be tolerated. Look, uh, it's been it's been an eye opening, super enlightening interview. Uh, so thank you so much, Ella Knight, campaigner in the migrant labor rights team for Amnesty International. It's been an honor and a pleasure to be joined by you and uh, keep up the great work. Thanks so much. Uh, and uh, thanks so much for your interest in this issue. SL Podcast Extras is a team effort driven by the following incredible individuals. The show is hosted and produced by Slu Paho. It is edited by Aidan Hewitt with graphics provided by Nino Segeleni. Brought to you by Sokola Duma.